0: WGTC Radio, the official podcast of entertainment website, We Got This Covered. I am Jonathan Lack. And I am Sean Chapman. And we are here to finish talking about video games, or at least our favorite video games,
1: Yeah, man, it feels, we've been talking about this for like three weeks, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, two weeks ago we started our countdown of our top ten favorite video games of all time to complement our lists of our favorite movies our favorite TV shows. Same format, we each have ten, we go back and forth. Part one aired two weeks ago, we did numbers ten through eight, last week we did seven through four, and today we are finishing it off, the highly anticipated conclusion,
1: Yes. three... Through, through, through the, the saga, the trilogy that is our top ten video games of all time. Hopefully it's not like a lot of trilogies where we just peter
0: off in that last yeah, third. Yeah,
1: that's. it's almost all trilogies, you know, I it's know. just like, the ending, is just you sink it.
0: So prepare to be disappointed.
1: Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, I okay. mean... <laughs> You know, when when Superman 64 is my number one video game of all time, you know? <laughs> yes, alright.
0: So, Sean, let's do
1: give him a recap.
0: Okay. Alright. That's,
1: that's probably a good idea. Yeah.
0: My number ten game of all time was Minecraft. My number ten game of all time was Journey. Number nine, Red Dead Redemption. Number nine, Starcraft. Number eight, Portal 2. Number eight, Half-Life. Number seven, Batman Arkham City.
1: And number seven, Red Dead Redemption. Number six, Bioshock Infinite. Number six, Halo 3. Number 5, The Last of Us. Number 5, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time.
0: Number 4, Super Mario 64. And number 4, Persona 4. And my number 3 game of all time is... four, or my number three favorite game of all time. Fucked
1: that up already.
0: I fucked that up already. But anyway, in any case, Sean talked a lot of last time. His number six favorite game, I believe, was Halo 3. Yes. And you talked a lot about what the Halo series means to you and whatnot, and how you went about picking your favorite yeah. Halo game. Uh, Halo series obviously means a ton to me, too. I mean, I think, really, Halo Combat Evolved, well, I played that long after it came out. I played it when I got my Xbox in 2006, my Xbox 360, uh, with Halo 2. That really is the moment I consider myself becoming like an actual like gamer, like someone who really plays games regularly and heavily. And that I really owe that to Halo, and I specifically owe it to being drawn in so much by Halo Combat Evolved, obviously. And then yeah. a lot of us do. Um, you know, Halo Combat Evolved is a masterpiece, and I will—I don't think there's really any questioning holistically, and certainly in the sense of significance, that Combat Evolved is the best campaign in Halo. Yeah. That um, I won't argue that, and I think. But but as you said. Picking which Halo game represents my love of the series most You kind of have to go through them But for me there was no question at any point Ever That Halo Reach was my favorite Halo game Um, It just absolutely is It is the one I've sunk the most time into It is the one that I have had the most fun with And also I don't want to say been the most moved by Because Halo 3 definitely had that emotional heft of coming into it Um, You know in 2007 with the hype Having played the first two And that being just such an incredible conclusion To the Master Chief story but Halo Reach is an overall experience. You know, looking at each part of it, I you know I don't know it, I don't think it has the best campaign because there's Halo Combat Evolved, but and certainly not in terms of of story because the Combat Evolved story is kind of perfect. The Halo yeah. 3 story is great, and I really love the Reach story too. I love it a lot, and I love it in just its total the direness of it and its unflinchingness in presenting this apocalyptic scenario. And I really like the characters and how it uh, progresses in that way. But I think just in terms of total balance, it's my favorite campaign. In gameplay balance, how you move through it, I love every single level and moment of the campaign to death. I think the gameplay is just the perfect refinement of Halo, the best controls, the best way the game moves, the best uh, set of guns and everything. I just and, and they stripped it down a lot. They got rid of stuff like dual wielding. Mm-hmm. They pared down the weapon set but it just works flawlessly for me and they introduced some new guns like the DMR that I think work fantastically in the context of this game particularly um I just that campaign I have played to completion at least four times that I can remember there might be more I've played it twice on heroic once in co-op once solo and twice legendary once in hero once in solo one in co-op um so I've played at least four times And I love it all the time And I've played each level I've probably played it Through to completion yeah. Just on order Several more times than that Because I've played those levels For challenges and stuff So many times And they never get old to me I really think It doesn't do. You know Halo 3 Does this very special thing Where every level Is like a different event You know Yeah Like they're very very distinct Halo Reach does not necessarily Do that Because the locations And environments You know you're all on reach it, it all the, the the environments look fairly similar there's multiple city levels, for instance, but each level s- still for me has this very clear weight and meaning within the story, very clear different delineations between how you play one level versus the next in terms mm-hmm. of what happens in those levels, and not just that, I feel like every encounter is really engaging, really compelling all the way through, I just think that campaign as a piece of gameplay to me is just nigh flawless, and one of my and my favorite video game challenge ever I, it is such a hard game on Legendary it's but, a to, on Legendary. but it's, it's a fair challenge, and I'm frustrated when I play it on Legendary, and it took me a long time to complete, and I would have to like go do something else for another couple days and come back to it but man, when you get through it, it is so rewarding, the challenge always feels fair, because it, to me it's the best realization of that Halo idea where, you know, you have an encounter you have the tools you need to complete it, but you can approach it however you want, and there is no right way to do most Halo encounters. Yeah. It's whatever works best for you, and I think Halo Reach personifies that over and over again to me just beautifully. Like, I remember the last the, the last thing you do in Reach is you get up on the big gun and you shoot down the ships. Yeah. But before that, you have to get up to that gun, and you have to get through this warehouse. and yeah, that is, like
1: four or five of these zealots in there. Yeah. yeah, and
0: that to me is the hardest part in the whole game, because you, it's not... Just that the, the difficulty of the challenge. It's that at that point you are not just worn down. You have nothing left. You have no yeah. ammo. You've got just you've got very little. And that, is so, that was so frustrating, it took me hours to beat, but man, did I have fun, and man, was it rewarding. And then you get some just emotionally crushing cutscenes to end the game, and one of the best post-credits things ever in a video game. And then on the multiplayer side, I really think, again, you got to look at it as an, as an overall package, because it's not just that it's got multiplayer now, and I feel the best version of the Halo multiplayer, it's got my favorite multiplayer maps behind Halo 2, and then you've got the Forge creation tool that has been improved from Halo 3, you've got the Theater tool, also improved from Halo
1: 3, Fire. It's like the same from Halo 3. Actually, yes, so that's true. I think it's actually a little bit worse because you can't do uh, online party viewing in the Oh, theater. I didn't know that. Yeah. I
0: never tried that. Okay, in any case, you know, still a great theater mode. Um, you've got the Firefight uh, mode, which uh, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for ODST because that is so... Fucking tough in ODST, and yeah. I have so many fun memories of playing ODST. You can make it just like that if you want and reach. Um, but it's got firefight is such a versatile gameplay element here, and there's so many great maps for it, and it's just a really fun thing to do. You can go online, you can do it with friends locally, you know, whatever you want. So it's got so many things to do. It is endlessly customizable. It takes the idea from Halo Three of total user customability to an even further level mm-hmm. with the amount of stuff you can do in the in the custom games and in the custom firefights and. And the forge mode and, and it made such great use Over the over the last couple of years Of updating the maps online With new forge maps People were always making cool stuff Some of the maps I know best Are forge maps That they put in there At one point or another Like on SWAT mm-hmm. I mean SWAT ultimately was You would play on maybe Sword Base And a couple others And then mostly it was forge maps Yeah At a certain point in its life So I really love it I just feel like As an overall package, Halo Reach is just perfect to me. I have literally no complaints with it. I can't single out a single area that is not just so totally refined. It felt like Bungie just really took everything they learned from the last three games and ODST and just made the best sort of closing statement they could on this series. It is just the perfect swan song for it. And, and, you know, kind of my problem with Halo 4 is Halo 4 is fantastic. I don't want to take anything away from Halo 4, But you're kind of at that point If you go further than Halo Reach To me you're messing with perfection And I thought a lot of things in Halo 4 While good and really great Are not up to the level of Halo Reach for me I thought Halo Reach for instance Was a better balance between the progression system But still sort of the traditional style of Halo gameplay Where it had some of the modern elements Of you have a leveling system, you have EXP And it's really fun and engaging And you get to do stuff with it I love the customability of your own Spartan And that that even carries into campaign But at the same time the general style of Halo gameplay Is not hugely changed by that leveling system and the progression and whatnot. And I like it in Halo 4. I like it just fine. I think they did a fantastic job with it. I like it even better than the way they do it in you know the Call of Duty games that it clearly yeah. hails from. But for me Halo Reach is the ultimate Halo experience. I've played it more than any other Halo game. I'm not entirely sure why that is because Halo 3 has been out longer. But I guess Reach just... Reach hooked me... And I don't want to say in a way that Halo 3 didn't, because Halo 3 hooked me and I played it a ton. As you said, we came out our first year of high school. Yeah. So we played it all through high school. But Reach, I guess... I I got better at Halo over the years, I should say. Um, and I guess Reach was just a, came at a moment in my life where I was open to playing a lot more Halo. And I loved it. I played it in college a ton that first year in, in the dorms. And... Um, I, I just love Halo Reach and I could go into all the different facets of it and particularly I think the campaign is, is worth talking about and it's it's, it's wonderful but uh, and it's certainly doing a campaign this good without having that pre-existing emotional attachment to the characters that benefited Halo 2 and 3 mm-hmm. um, but I love Halo Reach so it is my favorite of the Halo series games um, and probably always will be and, and my third favorite game of all time I, I debated where I would put this because it is in a sense standing in for the entire Halo series yeah um but I also wanted to rank it as, you know, its own game. And putting it at number 3 feels right to me. as Both as a, a testament to what I love about Halo and to just the sheer perfection of this game as an overall package in my mind. So. Alright then. Those are my thoughts on Halo Reach.
1: Do you, want, do you want to have the Halo 3 versus Halo Reach argument? I mean, Do, we, do, we, do I we really, want to do that I feel like it just down? comes
0: down to preference. Uh, I should also say before I finish on Reach, I really love the graphics of Reach. I think Bungie's art design is just impeccable always and I think as technology got better and better they were able to realize it more and more over the years and then Marty O'Donnell's score he really didn't go back to any of the themes he used before but he wrote a a score that is I think Halo 3 is his best
1: score overall I I like his ODST score the best oh that's a
0: great score I forgot he did that yeah yeah because the, the ODST score is so different.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's got like the whole like sort of like horn, like brass yeah. vibe to it.
0: ODST is probably the best, but Halo Reach is still. I mean, the the clip we played you there—that's just a crushing piece of music. And he does that throughout. I mean, if anybody drives the tone of Halo Reach, it's Marty O'Donnell and the music he composed for it. So, yeah. Really, just a fantastic game. Love it. So you don't like Halo Reach, apparently.
1: I, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't think it's it's as good as Halo Three. I think it's one of the it's just hard to... Like, I mean, for me, it's like Halo 1, like, ignoring ODST because it's it's, ODST such a weird game. Like, Halo 1 and Halo 3, like, clearly stand above to me. And It's like Halo 2, Halo Reach, and Halo 4 are all... eh, Like, I probably like Halo Reach a little bit more than 2 in terms of, like, the campaign stuff, but I like 2's multiplayer a lot more. Like, for me, Halo Reach, I think it's it's just not a, it's it's not as much of an engaging game in terms of the multiplayer like I think that the campaign's really good I really like the campaign for each but like the the changes they make to the multiplayer in the sense of like i don't like i don't I don't despise it but I don't love the well, armor what are abilities. they uh, the, the, arm the sprint and like like particularly sprint armor lock and uh jetpack in a big way really break the flow of maps and the combat to me in a way that's like I don't love i also don't like I don't f- love really any of the maps from Reach. Like I don't thinking about them, I can't like think of any one that like stands out to me as being like a really memorable fun map that I had a lot of fun on. And like I don't like uh, DMR versus I maybe have, like I really like the DMR as a weapon, but I think the battle rifles maybe a little bit better balanced. Like I think I think the multiplayer in Halo 3 is just a much is just much better designed. Like it's because it's so refined because they didn't like Try to change it a whole lot You know the big The big addition Is the equipment stuff and there's obviously A lot more weapons in there
0: And I guess I kind of Always felt that about The equipment in Halo 3 Where I never understood What the Like the equipment Always felt so extraneous I never I you saw wouldn't it. say it's, Like it just
1: feels like One additional little tool I mean you know Usually it's like A bubble shield Or a it power always,
0: but It always But it always It's what you feel About the equipment In Halo Reach for me It's like a, for in Halo 3 I always felt that Was a distraction and then in Reach, I think integrated I it much better. I wouldn't better. say
1: the the armor abilities in Halo Reach are a distraction. I think they're game breaking in some instances in terms of the map flow of the multiplayer of like, like 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 just jetpack is so ridiculous in how in how like far you can travel with it that it's like it breaks that really pure, sort of arena style combat of like you know it's like. The, if, if, if a dude gets jetpack on a on like a map like sword base it's like you can go anywhere at basically any time in the entire map and that's sort of like it, it breaks a lot of the balance in the flow to me of like how that that multiplayer combat works
0: and I guess I disagree with that but I, I still think I don't know I think it probably just comes down to personal preference at a certain point I, I like the reach system more but I I, only, I don't know if I want to say that also is... one
1: other thing about reset is just I don 't love is that I feel like the 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 base movement speed in jump height is is reduced, and i, I don 't love that either like I okay. f- it' because it makes the game feel slower to me too well,
0: what I was to say is i don 't necessarily know if I would say I like the multiplayer more or less because it is very different than halo three and, and two and one, mm-hmm. but I feel like Halo three is kind of the best version of that, and I really like reach two and i I played more reach and I enjoyed that more and i don 't say that to take anything away from three. I just really love the reach multiplayer and the way it it flows and I, I think it's great i i booted it up this morning to play a couple of matches and, and go into campaign a little bit just for this podcast, because I had not played it since Halo 4 came out, really. I mm-hmm. uh, refreshed myself, and I just immediately felt this wave of familiarity with it and love for it and going into the matches, and I just had a ton of fun just picking it up and playing it. It controls so well to me. I, I really, yeah, I, I, this to me is the perfect Halo game. Uh, the way Halo 3 kind of is for you. so Halo 3 is the more perfect Halo game. I think it's Halo Reach. The Halo community backs me up. The Halo community. Nice. Yes.
1: The internet, I suppose, at large. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're well, wrong. The, the, if, if, you, if you want to like, see this debate be had in a much larger form, there are, there are, there are many a forum you can go yes. browse. But. So uh, send your
0: comments. At, uh, we got this covered. Put them on, uh, on the blog and stuff. At, we got this covered. And yeah. Tell us what you think. And then we'll tell you you're wrong. Unless you're saying Halo 3 is the better one Which is the right
1: answer (laughs) The universe agrees Alright well Halo Reach is my Number 3 favorite game Of all time Sean I suppose that means It's time for my Number 3 game Of all time (laughs) of the Old Republic, made by Bioware for the Xbox and the personal computer. <laughs> it's it's interesting because this was in years past when we made a list very much like this one, but very much unlike this one. Knights of the Old Republic was my number one game at the time, and it was interesting making this list of, like, now, where I sort of, like, rank this game, and, and I kind of feel sad, but it, it's very well justified that I bumped this down two slots, because I, I really, really, really adore Knights of the Old Republic, and a big part of that is that I am a huge Star Wars fan. You know, I I love the movies, and I've engaged with the expanded universe on a lot in a lot of different ways. Like I've read a lot of the comic books, I've read several of the novels, like the the, the more acclaimed ones, and then I've played quite a few of the video games. And there are there are a lot of really really great Star Wars video games, and. Standing tall above all the others to me very much is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. And Knights of the Elder Republic is not only the best Star Wars game ever made, but it's one of the best Star Wars things. Like, if you are a fan of the Star Wars universe, Knights of the Old Republic is, like, the perfect Star Wars video game because it allows you to live in that Star Wars universe, but in a way that sort of, like, maintains what you would sort of, like, would have fallen in love with with the original trilogy because... Knights of the Old Republic does not take place in the Star Wars timeline that you are familiar with. You know?
0: it, so it's kind of like, you know, I talked about Batman Arkham City being sort of like video game, my perfect version yeah. of that thing I love. Is it kind of like Knights of the Old Republic, same thing yeah, as Star Wars? Yeah, in a
1: very similar way. Like, like one of the things is, one of the things that I love about it is that it's able to maintain the imagination of Star Wars by not having to tie itself down to like the raw specifics of like the original trilogy timeline or the prequel timeline. It's set, you know, thousands of years before the movies are in the old republic and so it's at a time where you know there are a lot more Jedi the Jedi order is younger than and, and a lot less corrupt than the one you come to know and sort of there there is this Sith Empire that's not the actual, uh, I'm not going to get into that there's a Sith Empire led by Dark Jedi or whatever and, and sort of it is this it, it brings all this imagination back to it in like in a way that the prequels did not and, and, and is able to make what is very familiar new again by by rethinking what you know about the Star Wars universe and presenting it in new ways. So it's like, you know, you don't run into any stormtroopers, but there are like the Sith troopers kind of are like stormtroopers, but they have their own spin on it. And like the, you know, the Ebon Hawk is very similar to the Millennium Falcon in a lot a lot of ways as a starship, but it has its own vibe. And there's a lot of stuff like that where it's like they they take what you know from Star Wars it's like they make it new again, they make it imaginative they, It's like they mix Bioware made Star Wars their own with Knights of the Old Republic and so as a Star Wars fan, that experience is sort of unparalleled because you get to, you know, live out this this fantasy you have when you watch the movies of like being this roguish Jedi or whatever like bopping across the galaxy saving the universe, fighting the forces of evil. And I would just be evil if I played it. Yes, and that is, that is an option and Oh my God! Can you be fucking evil in this game? Like I should say, when like I've I played, the, I got this game when it came out on the Xbox, and I have played it to completion four times, which is no small feat because it's a pretty long goddamn game. And but I've started the game like a billion goddamn times. Like I've made so many characters because I really my favorite section of the game is the sort of like the opening eight hours or so of like being on Taurus, and then you go to Dantooine and become a Jedi. And that, that part of it is my favorite part of the game but it's like when I went through the first time I played it I made a guy who was kind of evil he was a little more on the dark side because I was just a kid when I played it and it's like the dark side's all cool and stuff and then when I played it through a second time when when I played it through the second time is when I really really fell in love with the game and I played it as, as a, a Jedi proper and then I played it as a Jedi proper but like a different kind of character where I played a a female character that also specialized in force powers instead. And then I played it through it again and decided it's like I'm going to be evil again because it's like in the because the first time I played it I also half-assed the evil part. And so like I played it through as evil and it's like that is a hard is a hard thing to do at some point because you I think the most memorable evil thing I did in Knights of the Old Republic was there's this one side, a really elaborate side quest on Dantooine where you first become a Jedi and you get assigned by the council to this like, you know, being a Jedi is not all about like stabbing people with laser swords, you know, like you're supposed to be this sort of like diplomat peace negotiator type guy. So it's like there's this sort of Romeo and Juliet Hatfield McCoy like family feud going on on Dantooine between these two families. And we need you to negotiate a peace between them because one of them is accusing the other of like kidnapping their son. And there's like this whole elaborate thing going on. And basically, it's like one of the families has this son, another family has the daughter, and the son and daughter fall in love or whatever. But the families hate each other. And one of the and a child char- like like the the girl's brother or whatever for one of the families was killed in an accident. But that guy blames the other dude from the other family of like for his death. And so it's like they're like at each other's throats. And you finally get them to come together by, like, like you just sort of, like, meant to encourage, like, the, the two lovers to run away. Like, that's the good side. But it's, like, you get this encounter where it's, like, the one guy goes to the other dude's estate with, like, war droids with blasters. And so that guy from the estate comes out with his own war droids. And you get in this argument where it's, like, their children are there. And you're arguing. And you have this uh, ability... If you, like, do the conversation option right To manipulate both of the sides To trick each other into Suspecting that, like, the other person, like, did something That they didn't do, like, that guy killed this guy's son Or it's like, that yeah, no, you definitely kidnapped His daughter or whatever You're, like, able to manipulate that situation Where, like, the one guy Shoots the other guy's daughter in front of them That guy then shoots that guy's son In front of him And so then that guy shoots that guy And then that guy's war droids shoot that guy And then the war droids destroy each other so it's like you're standing there and there it's like you could easily have just like cleared up this like misunderstanding and fixed this situation so easily and instead you've just told like two or three lies and caused everybody in this family to just kill each other and the goddamn droids to kill each other too. So it's just like a bloodbath. Everyone is dead. So if you if you have fantasies about using the magical powers of the force to enact revenge and just Un, like senseless chaos on the world you can certainly do that in Knights of the to Republic or you can not be a complete monster which I was in that instance and, and actually play as the, the Jedi side which I think the story is just a lot better because it's like if you play as on the Jedi side there's like this sort of like theme of redemption that comes out naturally from the story that's very interesting that like depending on the way you play the game the themes very much change but so, yeah, so that's like, you know, I've talked a lot about how Knights of the Old Republic is just a fantastic Star Wars experience, but even if you strip out that the Star Wars universe from the game itself, it's still an unbelievably fantastic RPG in the sense of the combat is sort of this pseudo-real-time turn-based combat that's based on, like, a D&D, like, D20-type system, and that's really fun because it's it is really intense and a really difficult combat system that, like you have to you have to be on your ball in a lot of encounters to like to to fucking just survive and usually half the time like both of your companions will be passed out on the ground because they just got like choked half to death by a sith warlord and it's it like the combat's really intense and a lot of fun and I think like the and it's also just really cinematic looking because since it's not quite real time. But like it's technically turn based, but it looks like stuff's happening in real time. But you like issue commands in a turn based fashion, which allows the the, the combat to seem really cinematic, so when you get in lightsaber duels, the guys seem like they're really fighting in a way that's like with real time combat, like the animations wouldn't quite match up in a way that would make it look quite that good. So that's really awesome. And then and then there's it's got a really in depth, you know, character creation and you can make so many different kinds of characters that specialize in all these different fields, like balancing between combat ...sort of like practical skills with hacking and stuff like that... ...and your force powers that can be applied in a lot of different ways. And then... So the, so the combat is absolutely phenomenal. But then on top of it you've got... ...just an unbelievable story of that Bioware fashion, Like one of the absolute Bioware bests... ...and Bioware is one of the best Western RPG developers of all time. And they sort of... I think like in terms of just like raw story... ...and what the, how they like handle the story... Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is the best Star Wars story that has been told. Like there are, in particular, there is a twist about three fourths of the way through that I'm not going to spoil here, but it is fucking amazing. Like it, it it completely turns the game on its head. But it's it's not like an out of nowhere twist. It's like it feels sort of kind of like Bioshock Infinite at the end, where it's like this feels very natural. What happens here, like it's not a twist for twist's sake. It's like this has been built up to and hinted at. But in such a clever way that it's like... You don't... You you don't see it coming. It's like... Once it happens, you're like... Oh, shit. That... Yes. Okay. That makes so much sense. And so that... And that... And Bioware, you know... Is well known for creating really interesting... And well-written characters. And that is certainly the case here as well. Where over the course of the game... You amass a crew of people... That you bring with you on your ship. So you've got... You know... Bastilla... The, the sort of like... Sassy British Jedi... Lady, and then you've got uh, Mission, the sassy, not British, like 14 year old Twi'lek who grew up on, like, in the understreets of Taurus, who befriended another companion you have, Zalbar, this big fucking Wookiee who, you know, gives Chewbacca his run for his money in terms of being the best Wookiee in Star Wars stuff. Fucking Zalbar Big Z is really awesome.
0: I apologize really quickly for my phone going off there in a second. Sorry, I was
1: sorry, GPS thing went off. Didn't mean to. Sorry. Yeah, but, anyways. So, yeah, like, Knights of the Old Republic has amazingly written characters, an amazingly written story, and just one of the most engaging combat systems in an RPG I've found, and all of that wrapped up in a super sweet Star Wars chocolate coating is, you know, that's a that's a formula for success, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely.
0: So. This is a, one of the games I am saddest I have never played. Yeah, And I will so. hopefully rectify someday. I actually have it on my Mac, and I have since I bought it, but I've never played it.
1: So... It's a good game, to yes. say the least. So Yeah. Nice as older public. Fuck yeah. Is
0: that all you have to say about it? I think so, yeah. Alright. Well then that is that's your number three. Let's move on to my number two favorite game of all time. also by Bioware, for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. PC. PC is my second favorite game of all time, easily. I want to say right now, these last two games on the list fell into place immediately. There was no question at any point what my top two were. Very easy. And these are actually both games I wound up getting to this year, even though they were not games that came out this year. Yeah, So... Mass Effect 2 I I should say right now I have not finished the Mass Effect trilogy and I this is another one I I really wish I could have finished it in time for this podcast Um, was not was not able to I just have not gotten around to playing 3 I sort of I finished 2 and I did 1 and 2 basically as a marathon those 2 and I love them both just to death and then I was going to play 3 started 3 and I don't want to say I got burned out but it was like I felt like I probably should have taken a small break between those or something because 3 is not 3 looks a little different Obviously, you know, each game plays a little differently than the last. And I probably just should have... I probably marathoned too much Mass Effect at once because, you know, when these games came out, they came out over a period of years. Um, And so I just wound up playing another game for a while. Um, And I'll get back to 3 eventually and I'll play it. And I'll probably play all these games over and over again. But in any case, that does not at all affect my love for Mass Effect 2, nor should it. Mass Effect 2 is just such an incredible game. And I think what you'll see for these last two titles, sort of the, the same basic judging system... I've always had is that characters and characterization are the most important things to me in storytelling. And, and nothing makes me love a story more than great character work. And these last two games on my list are sort of pure exercises in character study through video games. And Mass Effect 2, you know, I love Mass Effect 1. That is a phenomenal game, I feel like. I don't even have the same problems with it a lot of people do, where I know the combat is technically kind of clunky, but I like it. A lot, and I—I I know it's improved in Mass Effect 2, but I still love Mass Effect 1, and I think it's great. But Mass Effect 2, what makes that such a masterpiece for me is that it is this ingeniously simple setup, yeah. which is Commander Shepard. Well, it starts off just crazy. Mass Effect yeah, 2, yeah. I want to say around the bat has one of the most bat insane yeah. game openings ever. Oh my god! Where you're just—you think it's just gonna—you're on the Normandy, the characters, and you're like, oh, we're just gonna see them go on a mission or something, right? No. The yeah. Normandy gets fucked. It gets... Yeah, no kidding. It gets bent over the table and fucked, and it gets blown to shit, and... and you get fucking spaced. spaced. Yes. Oh, man. And then Mass Effect 2. In fact, I think you're, like, floating away, Yeah, and the you're title floating
1: away, up. and then the title comes up around, like, the planet that you're kind of floating towards.
0: Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's what kind of game this yes. is. And
1: it's and a game then, where you die in the first five minutes. Yes.
0: And so that first hour... Totally. That first hour is so disorienting Because you're getting used to this new world and new status quo And really what that's all in service towards Is we've got a new villain this time around They're, co- they're connected to the Reapers yeah. They're called co- the Collectors They're coming and you need to build a team To go on a suicide mission to stop them mm-hmm. And that's the story, that's it There are some twists and turns In terms of what you have to do to stop them But otherwise, what Mass Effect 2 is Is you building a team, getting to know that team And getting them loyal to the point where they will die for you Although you don't want them to die for you Yeah and that is so bold in its simplicity, you know? Like, I have to wonder what the discussions were at Bioware where they sat down and said, Mass Effect 2 is going to be 100% about characters. And that we're going to be that bold in making it, you know, that is our game. Yeah. And at that point, the, the player really has total control over the pace, over how you play it, over everything. And it is just, the characters are so, so fantastic. I love absolutely every one of them. And you know, the, of all the new ones, my favorite is Morden, because Morden sings you Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. If you talk to him enough, I, I love Morden. I think he's great. But I love all the new characters. I think they're just so fantastic. You know, you've got just super badass people like Fane, who are really also very, very complex. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, you've got the 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 uh, new um, version of Rex.
1: Grunt. Grunt, sorry. Krogan.
0: I haven't played the game in a while, so I'm forgetting some of the race names, but yeah. Uh, And you meet some of your old friends along the way, you know. And I know this is DLC, Lair of the Shadow Broker, but I I lump it all in. Yeah, yeah, And obviously, you know, you've got some great stuff with Liara in the DLC and whatnot. Um, And then you've got the returning characters who are all made more compelling than ever before. Like, you know, Garrus is an awesome character in one. You really like him as your friend. But in two? God, Holy shit, Archangel. You, yeah, and
1: it's, it's, it's one of the best character like reintroductions ever.
0: Maybe Hunter my Garris comes back. Maybe my favorite I can think of because you know, you're you're going through your dossiers, and I was sort of resigned to the fact early on that okay, I'm probably gonna have an all new team this time around, and maybe I'll see Garrus sometime. Yeah. But I wasn't thinking I sure as hell wasn't expecting Garrus would just be one of my dossiers.
1: Yeah, yeah, you you expected that it's like you would know Garrus is coming when Garrus is coming.
0: Yeah. Maybe and then that. it's Archangel and Garrus comes in and he's got scars and he's Yeah,
1: he's fucking he's fighting like these three basically like mafia families on this planet that he's all harassed to the point where they are all putting aside their differences just to try to kill him yeah and so
0: you know Garrus is so great in this game and you can fuck him if you're a female shepherd I should say I play as Fem Shep and yeah you can romance Garrus and that's such a funny subplot but everything's great I mean the some of the best parts of Mass Effect 2 are you're just you get back to the Normandy after a mission and you make the rounds and talk to everyone and there's such joy in that, and yeah. getting to know these characters. And, you know, the most important character, in terms of character study, is you, is Shepard. Because that's the character you have total control of. And that is what is so brilliant about the general Bioware strategy of game design, but especially Mass Effect, and, and to a really high degree to me, Mass Effect 2, because his character is at such a crossroads here. Um, is that you have total control over how this character is developed and what you want this character to be and you have such a close connection I mean those dialogue trees are the most gripping parts of Mass Effect to me Yeah. because that's where you create the character and you're creating that character on the fly through dialogue making these choices they all seem to have weight and meaning at least in how you read that character and how that character interacts with the world around her uh, and I and that's you get such a high connection to that. I always say her when I'm talking about Commander Shepard because my Commander Shepherd's a woman. You would always say he because you yeah. played Shepard as a guy. So it's well, like one of my Shepherds was right. a guy. So you have this, you know, your connection to Shepard is so personal and absolutely singular to the point where when I watch another person like my brother play a Mass Effect game and, like, they have a different version of Shepard, I'm like, that's insulting. That is not Shepard. It just doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't imagine going through and playing them again with a different Shepard. I probably will one day, but it'll be really weird and disorienting. And I feel like in Mass Effect, you know, one, they did a great job with that, but in two, they drive it even further, especially because this is all a game about character study yeah. and getting to know these people. And so, you know, the, how I would sum up Mass Effect 2 being my second favorite game of all time is something I didn't even realize how connected I was to the game until you go for the suicide mission, and the level of emotional investment I had going into that mission was something I had never felt in a game before. I don't know if I'd ever felt that in a story before. Yeah. Like, the closest you could come to that is TV, like a long like multi-season TV show where they get to a climax or something. But here in Mass Effect 2, it's I've spent 30 hours playing with these people. I mean, I fucking 100% did Mass Effect. I did everything I could in Mass yeah. Effect 2. I, had, I bought every piece of DLC. I was just playing everything. And I think I was close to level capped when I got to the, the suicide mission. Yeah. But you go on that suicide mission and tensions are just so high because because you're, you're ready to die But you don't want any of these people to die And that suicide mission is just such a fantastic climax Did and, anyone
1: die when you did it? I don't remember
0: um, I guess I must have done something wrong before Because um, Kasumi died on the way there like, In terms of what I actually had control over During the suicide mission, no
1: no, but you mean like like during the, like after you go through the Mega Four Relay? Yeah, died? she died. Yeah, and yeah, when you said on the way there, it's like it just sounded like it's she like, okay, it. guys, we're going to the Mega Four Relay, and we're going to we're going to take this fight to the collectors. Okay, everybody, let's get out here before we hop through. Where is Kasumi? She OD'd on cocaine in the bathroom. <laughs> God, shit, God damn it!
0: I always felt bad that Kasumi died. I felt really bad because for one, I love the DLC where you get Kasumi. Yeah. It's just this great caper. It's like a caper flick in Mass Effect. Yeah, and then but Kasumi, like she's only she comes aboard because you know you think she she can help and she's risking her life, but she has no inherent reason she needs yeah. to come. Then she dies before you even get there. <laughs> you should. Hit yeah. So I don't know how that how that set of circumstances arises, but yeah, that's what happened that, for me. But uh, in any case, so yeah, and. Mass Effect Two again, like Mass Effect Two just tells this one, you know, simple story with all this character work so perfectly that I will get around to playing three eventually, but I don't necessarily get to the end of it and it has kind of the cliffhangery thing where the reason is. Yeah, are yeah, coming. it doesn't
1: have like I mean it hasn't like the appropriate ending because it has the character stuff is so important, but like the plot ending is not. Yeah Really there for Mass Effect 2 Because it's the second part of a trilogy
0: Right But in any case I feel like Mass Effect 2 Can just exist as this own Kind of perfect game On it's own Yeah It's just It's great And obviously So much of what makes it great Is that you bring in Your character from 1 And so this is Continuing a story From another game And it's Like I just had never seen Anything like that before That importing a character Where I loved Mass Effect 1 I had such a high connection And then I'm playing A whole new game But there's my character Just as I made her And now she's got Badass scars and, you know, I'm still continuing to develop this character. And there's just, to me, there's just nothing else like Mass Effect, and Mass Effect 2 is so far the best version of that I've played. And it's just, I love it to death. And and I think I've said everything I have to say about Mass Effect 2. I mean, the, no, I haven't, because I haven't even touched on the freaking gameplay, because the gameplay is great. They've really made the, you know, the actual combat and stuff, just, they've really refined it to perfection in Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun. It's so addictive. It's so fast. Like that's the thing about Mass Effect One is that it's kind of slow. It almost feels turn-based to a degree because you always have to go into that sub-menu yeah, to yeah, pick you your have attack. Yeah, Pause
1: the combat all the time.
0: Right. And in th- in two, you have to do it a couple times if you want to use a special attack that's not mapped to your controller. But otherwise, yeah. it's really fast-paced. It's really intense. It's very challenging, but it's fair, um, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, and I love the graphic design of Mass Effect Two. Mass Effect Two visually is one of my very favorite games ever. And I've never seen a game that uses orange that prominently in its yeah, color scheme. Yeah, that's,
1: that's one of the things about all the Mass Effect games I think are great. It's like they all have their own sort of like primary color scheme they play off of. In Mass Effect yeah. 2's being orange is really interesting because it's not yeah one that like, that's not like a primary color scheme that usually people use. And
0: I'm actually a big fan of the the grain filter they do on it. I I just, being a, a sort of a film fan, I really love how the, they they kind of make it. There's this more tactile quality to it because it has that layer of grain on it. Uh, that I kind of miss in, in what I've played of three, um, and I think they toned it down enough from one because it was probably overbearing in one. Yeah, it was,
1: it was pretty overbearing in one.
0: But in two, it's like just the perfect amount, and it makes every graphic just pop that much more to me, and it just looks great. So, and tremendous voice acting throughout, obviously. Yeah. Also, um, it's it's such a great game, easily my second favorite game of all time. Love Mass Effect Two. Play it if you haven't. Obviously, play Mass Effect One first. Yeah, yeah. But that's my number two, Sean. You want to talk about your number two? I think I will talk about my number
1: two favorite video game of all time. familiar to you for some reason. I don't know. I feel like you're we just talking about it or something.
0: Yeah, so my number two favorite game of, is just Mass Effect 2. Your number two is all three of them combined. Yes. Which, which
1: No. It, they were released all together as a retail product earlier this year. So <laughs> fuck you. Mass Effect Trilogy counts. And it was actually something I had to think a lot about of like how I was going to handle this one specifically because I think it counts. It's yeah, easy. Yeah. Because like I personally justify it as that like it is all one story and and in a very, like, even, like, mechanical gameplay sense, because you do carry your same Shepard all through all through the games.
0: And even between 2 and 3, your level take
1: carries over yeah, and yeah. stuff. And, 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 like, where it really sealed the deal for me was, like, was with Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3 is where it would come down to which one is the best game, but it was like, if I'm just considering it completely on its own, on its own merits, ignoring that any other games even exist, Mass Effect 2 is the best game in the Mass Effect franchise. But, if you look at it as a whole series and a whole trilogy, and in that sense, I think Mass Effect 3 has the most, for me, emotionally resonant material because it's building off of everything that came before it so fantastically. So, it's like, I couldn't... Like, if it was clear that Mass Effect 2 would just be the best one no matter what, I probably would have just picked that one. But since it was like, Mass Effect 3 is better if you look at it from a certain perspective, or Mass Effect 2 is better from a different perspective for me, it's like, fuck it, it's all three of them. So that's why it's the Mass Effect Trilogy for me and for me I have a very different experience with these games than you do because I I played them when you came out where when they came out whereas you sort of like played one and two like way after they came out sort of like together back to back and obviously I was a huge fan of Knights of the Old Republic the last Bioware well okay there was another one but they're like the for me the last Bioware RPG I had played and and it was like what are these guys going to do next? Like, we've got new consoles, Xbox 360. Like, what is this going to be? They've been advertising, you know. They're making a whole new fucking IP. It's going to be like sci-fi space shit. It's like, Mass Effect, it seems awesome. And honestly, when it first came out and the first time I played it, I was kind of disappointed in Mass Effect 1. And it was like... It was still a really good game, but it, I couldn't feel the magic in it the way like something like Knights of the Old Republic hit me. And I was like and I didn't know why it was like I played it once and I was like well it was good but I like didn't fall in love with it and then like a year later you know we got sort of like Mass Effect 2 was on the horizon I was like I'm going to replay Mass Effect 1 but I want to do it but I'm going to make a new character this time because I didn't have a huge attachment to my first Commander Shepard who sort of was kind of renegade and kind of paragon like he wasn't a really good guy or a really bad guy so then my second time around instead of Gordon Shepard I made James T. Shepard who (laughs) In, in honor of Captain Kirk, and I'm the Shepherd, I was like, I'm gonna do what I did with Knights of the Old Republic, where it's like when I really fell in love with Knights of the Old Republic, I played just like super kind of Boy Scouty like light side stuff, and I, that was really appropriate for Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic because it's a Star Wars game, and Star Wars game like Star Wars is such a morally simplistic universe where my Effect has a lot of shades of gray, and so that's why I didn't approach it that way initially, and I was like, I'm just gonna fuck it, I'm just going to go full-on Paragon. It's like, come hell or high water, no matter what, I'm going to be Paragon. Like, in fucking everything. And for, for a weird reason, that kind of blew open the game and, like, really made me engage with it because I ended up playing a character that was very different from myself and made very different decisions than I would normally make, and that forced me to role-play the game in a very real sense. It was one of the earliest times I really role-played and, like, Felt that role playing because it's not like, you know, I love Knights of the Older republic but when you look at it now, and most RPGs now like that, when you when you're and you're trying to like look at it from like the definition of that term, a role-playing game, sort of how it relates to something like Dungeons and Dragons, where like the great role-playing game, you realize like Knights of the Old Republic is so simplistic because you can you have such a limited option and all the options are not particularly fleshed out in how you build behave your character. You know, like, and it's, you've got like in dialogue responses, you've got like this one text sentence that you pick. That's not like voice acted or anything, because it's like the thought at the time was that would break immersion too much. And a lot of people still believe that, and that's a fine opinion to have. But then when I like th- sort of engaged Mass Effect in a way that was like, I'm not going to make Shepard be me. I'm going to make Shepard Shepard. That's when I saw the the beauty and the magic behind their decision. To have, like, this dialogue wheel that was, like... You're going to pick, like, this vague... What the response, more or less, is like. And then Shepard is going to respond in his or her own way. Like, elaborate on what your, like, vague sort of dialogue choice is. And, like, voice act that in, like... Sort of, Shepard becomes their own character. And so, if you if you let Shepard be his or her own character... And, and instead of, like, just trying to make Shepard a vessel for yourself... I think the game becomes so much more magical because it's like okay now I have to play this character like I this character is not just me like this is Shepard and I have to become Shepard I have to get into the Shepard mindset like I have to and that sort of opens up all the stuff behind the character of like trying for me to try to justify and explain why Shepard is acting the way he's acting like why would this person be this paragon but like my Shepard you know that you can pick a backstory and he has like my Shepherd had, like, the most tragic backstory you could have. He was, like, the sole survivor, like, you know, live, was born on an off-Earth colony where it's like, that was, like, a terrible place to live. So he has this terrible background. And it was, like, at a certain point, I was like, My Shepherd is such a people pleaser at a certain point, of, like, no matter what's going on, no matter who he's talking to, he gives people the answers they want to hear so he can get what he needs out of them. And, re- and like, just clicked. this, like, My Shepherd's a complete fucking sociopath. Like, he has no. He, he, he can so socially manipulate people, but he has no true social connection with almost anybody. And, like, you're able to create this character, create this subtext behind the scenes. And that like just felt so magical to me and that was like something I'd never really done in a game up to that point. And that's sort of like a similar experience I had with Red Dead Redemption where it's like I cut my teeth on Mass Effect and it's like brought those skills to bear for Red Dead Redemption to help and me enjoy that game a lot too.
0: And what you're saying about Mass Effect here, that's exactly what I mean when I say you do the character study of Shepherd on the yeah. fly while you're making that character. Uh, you know, you're you're deciding who he or she will be, and you're very much you're diving into the character as you do that. And I yeah. I tend to play it not strictly Paragon or Renegade. I I'm lean to the Renegade side, as you might imagine. Yes, because um,
1: you're a horrible monster.
0: But I kind of I just try to go with every choice. I'm like, in my conception of Shepard, as I understand her so far, what choice would she make here, and what choice? How would this play with the character? what should this mean for her going forward so it's sort of like I always that's what's so fun about the dialogue trees is it's always making you
1: think about the character and actively interpreting yeah and when I was talking about Persona you know and I was saying like RPGs have a really significant pacing problem in that like their primary mechanic being combat usually does not have like there's nothing intrinsically narrative about the combat in most RPGs and so that's it's really contrary to where all the focus in an RPG goes to which is the narrative and the characters and the story and that aspect of it. And so Mass Effect turns dialogue into its own gameplay mechanic because you know the the dialogue wheel and like the mystery like like trying to fulfill in for yourself of like who Shepard is and all that kind of stuff is so much more engaging and fascinating and, and feels so more so much more cinematic than sort of a Knights of the Old Republic style like you just have text responses to people and then they voice act at you you know it's like you; these characters are having this conversation and I can move the conversation in directions but I am not the master of the conversation like it's not like I pick exactly the words that are said and then Shepard just spouts them out or something and so that's so for Mass Effect one that's where the magic really opened up and then there's you know the Mass Effect universe in general is one of the best things about Mass Effect where it is so so well realized in such intricate detail to like all the different species and the technology and just you know it feels so lived in like the best sci-fi universes are and feels scientifically plausible in the sense of like they like the major sci-fi thing they do outside of like having aliens and stuff in terms of the technology is that you have, they just have this thing they call element zero. And element zero is just like, you know, a made up element that's you know, obviously does not exist on the actual periodic table. It's like this made up element, and when you pass an electrical charge through it, if you pass, I believe, a positive charge through Ezo, element zero, it, inc- it increases the, like a mass field around it that increases the mass of the objects within that field. And if you put a negative charge in there, it decreases the mass. And so that one allowance sort of like of like like accept that this element zero exists and it does these things creates allows for all the technology allows for the faster than light travel allows for the guns that like the mass effect guns are the best ones because the mass effect guns just have like a block of metal in them this is how they explain it that it's just like a block of metal and the gun just like cuts off a tiny sliver and then just shoots it at near lumen like like near speed of light speeds being through like the Mass Effect field stuff, that's the coolest, and that's that why is, it almost has. That's why there is no ammo. It's just because it's like you've just got a fat block of metal. Like you almost never need to reload this thing.
0: That's actually something that disappointed me in two and three. Is that I understand for gameplay mechanics, yeah, yeah. took it, that it's out. a lot more satisfying,
1: yeah. makes a lot more sense to reload a gun in terms of gameplay. But yeah, but
0: I love this. The, the like narrative, like allowance for that is so great. I love that. So fucking one.
1: cool. Like, and there's just so much of like some of my most fun with Mass Effect is just sitting down when I've gotten really far into the game and just like going to that codex menu that I like I've barely looked at so far and having like I'm going to read and listen to every single one of these entries it was just like you know so it's like I know all like super useless information like Krogans have four testicles and fucking Turians are silicon based life forms that are sort of vaguely avian in origin like that's you know it's completely useless information but it's like they just have thought out so much and it's like well you know, it makes me want to engage with it and, like, want to learn all this information that they they thought out and put out there in the game in their codex. So it's like the Mass Effect universe, and Mass Effect 1 is such a fantastic introduction to that universe that it sets the building blocks for Mass Effect 2. And so then moving into Mass Effect 2, you know, I had already created James T. Shepard, like, the Shepard that I loved. So going into Mass Effect 2, I was full in on Mass Effect. And Mass Effect 2 is especially when it came out was to me such a fucking revelation of taking what was a like a lot of the really clunky elements of Mass Effect 1 which there were a lot of very clunky elements of the original Mass Effect particularly when it came out technologically it had a lot of glitches and stuff and Mass Effect 2 was just felt so polished so streamlined in the best way possible where it's like You know, there's. You don't need to go onto a planet and have like. I enjoyed the exploration elements of Mass Effect One, but they were so unrefined and felt like, like not nearly enough attention was paid to that. And so it's like, if you're having this much more focused experience, like Mass Effect Two, it's like. If you want to have your side missions, it's like you just get down there, you land where the side mission is, you do the goddamn side mission, and like that's it. And it's like that's a much more, you know, it's a much quicker. You just get into it and get out of it, and it just feels like okay, like this is a much, it's it's like it feels like a really well edited movie. You know, it's just like there's no fat on this at all. You just get in there, you get you do what needs to be done, and you get out, and that's it. And that's so it's just so great in that way. There's like no fat on Mass Effect Two at all and it's just and it's so rare for that to be the case for video games cuz video games are so often padded to fucking shit. So Mass Effect 2 is just is just one of the best video games ever made, particularly in terms of what it did for like showing is like yeah you don't if you want to make an rpg you don't have to have an overly complex inventory and like a dozen different like equipment slots and you don't have to have this massive like tree that like you know you you don't have to hit level 60 and that's like the level cap is all the way up there and you've got like a billion different skills that you can point a, put a point into but each individual point is completely insignificant because it's like it's one point of like 50 or whatever you do that's that's not what an RPG is. An RPG is about the story and the characters, and the gameplay needs to exist around that, not the other way around. You don't need to be tied to this old understanding of what RPG has to be. So, like Mass Effect Two was like, "fuck it," like in this universe, like combat is just a it's a fucking third person cover based shooter. Like that's what the combat would be like. You don't need to have like hack on this like old school like like power wheel that like with a billion different powers on it fuck that it's like we're making it action packed we're making it streamlined you've got like five different powers but you really only need to focus on using two of them or three of them that are all like hot buttons so it's like you, are, you don't need to pause the action all the time and it's in your face it is engaging and that was amazing it's like and it's know.
0: one of the best examples ever of a developer looking at their first game saying what yeah. did we do right what did we do not as right yeah. and then just coming up with so many ideas to make it better and working yeah. as hard and as they could not to improve
1: it not being afraid of changing something just like not being afraid of you know alienating people by by changing something that they really love they're like no we need to Mass Effect 2 is a very different game in a lot of ways in terms of just how it tackles the story stuff and so it's like naturally everything else needs to evolve around that so it's like they really focused on what needed to be focused on and, and that was like the story in character stuff and it's like made the gameplay sort of serve it to that and as you said when you were talking about Mass Effect 2 like the characters particularly the character work in Mass Effect 2 is so amazing because they focus all on that and the structure of the game of I'm going to go around I'm going to assemble this team and then you have the loyalty missions for each of the team members and it's like each loyalty mission is like an hour to maybe three hours long for the longer ones and they all sort of like tell a personal story of each of these crew members. So you come to like know and love them in like all these different ways. And each one of those, those uh, like loyalty missions feel like these like great little tiny sci fi stories in their own right. Like I think one of the most memorable is Jacob's, where Jacob, his father, has been lost for a really long time out in space. And you get a distress signal from his ship that he was on. And you land on the planet and you find out that Jacob has become this ruler. Of the, of the crew of the ship, who have all eaten these these plants that have like had like this hallucinogenic element in them that like has sort of like eroded their brain functions over time, so they've become completely servile to 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 Jacob's father, and he sort of just like reigned over these people as like this disgusting like sex despot. It's and like like makes his own like pleasure paradise at the expense of like these like hundred people that were the crew of the ship, and it's like. You know, and there are a lot of different ways you can deal with that situation. And that's, like, one of the cool things about the game that I played Mass Effect 2 through completion. Both, like, sort of, like, mostly Paragon, mostly Renegade. Is seeing, like, all the different ways those situations can play out. And they're all really awesome and fucking cool in their own way. And so, yeah, like, the the character stuff is amazing. And I think the best part of all of Mass Effect 2 is the suicide mission. Because particularly going into it when the game came out, the suicide mission... Like, you knew about that before the game came out. Like, they were out there saying, people can die. Like, like seriously, in terms of story, they will die, and they will stay dead for Mass Effect 3. And, like, that was fucking terrifying. So when you get to the suicide mission, you're like, I was so tense. I was just like, anyone can die at any moment. And they make those cutscenes such that it's like, Garrus could have died there. And like, I fought for, like... It's just like your heart almost stops. It's just like 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 cutting. It seems like he's probably going to oh what, what God, did they're me going in... to kill Garrison and it's like okay, oh Jesus, okay, he's alive.
0: What did me in was the the final sort of part of that where yeah. it was me and Garrison and Morden was the team I selected fighting the big uh, human reaper, and uh, I they're falling on that, that big panel that like falls off, and it looks like Garrison Morden are just going to fall into oblivion. Yeah. I was like, no,
1: what did I do? Yeah, but yeah, for like this, that suicide mission is that's just so brilliant. Because particularly for like this series Which is like one of the only Game series to do this thing where you carry through Specifically your character and all that information Through to the other games Like knowing that it's like If these people die like either I have to Play through the whole fucking game or like reload a save Or whatever like I need to like go back through And make sure they don't die or it's like You are stuck with this reality where it's like Morden got like eaten by like alien Like swarm monsters It's like it's just like he would be Dead in Mass Effect 3 and that's like was so terrifying it, it, it like em- elicited an emotional response unlike any other because it was like there was such real consequence to that suicide mission and just and the first time I played it nobody died and I can and to this day I've played Mass Effect 2 to completion three different times I still cannot play the suicide mission and have anyone die like I just like every time I get to it I'm like I just want to see what it's like like I want to like I just want to yeah. know and it's like but when it comes to the choices it's like I'm, no, I'm not going to send I can't send Jacob down the little tube That you send the tech people down And have him die Like, I just can't do that I can't can't be that guy who just kills someone Just to see it, because I love all those characters so much
0: I could do it, Jacob's kinda, you know He's not all that interesting
1: I like Jacob. I'm kidding. He's, I like Jacob. He's not a lot. the I most would, interesting character on the crew. But I would not kill he's him. He's not meant to be the most interesting character on the crew. No,
0: and actually, Jacob, I like that you mentioned his loyalty mission because I forget about that one because Jacob is not the flashiest character. But damn it, if he doesn't have one of the best loyalty yeah, missions,
1: yeah, Not a doubt. So yeah, the suicide mission, stroke of fucking genius. And then Mass Effect Three comes out, and, and it's like I had such a weird experience with Mass Effect Three because. I knew we were going to be recording a podcast with it, and so I wanted... And and, and also, I was a freshman in college, and so I did not have a 360 up in my dorm, and so it's like, Mass Effect 3 came out, and it's like, I need... I need to play Mass Effect 3, so I went home where my Xbox was, and it's like, for the weekend, it's like, I played all of Mass Effect 3 just on that weekend, and it's like, I finished it at like 4 in the morning, or whatever. It's my favorite thing, playing video games. Like the best video games, you finish as dawn. Like you play through the night, and it's like you finish it when like the sun's coming up. That is that is when you know you have like had a great experience with the video game. Is when that happens. And and so I did that with Mass Effect Three. Like played that fucking like marathon that motherfucker, and that is like a, just an absolutely emotionally exhaustive experience. It is it was unbelievable for me. Like like it has elicited an emotional response only matched by one other thing that we will talk about at some point. But it's like, that game is so powerful in how it wraps up all these storylines being built up across, like, like, 40 hours of gameplay for for that one character. And it's like, getting to this point, is just like, seeing all these characters. And Mass Effect 3 is so fucking dark, because the game opens with the Reapers are here already, they fucking have attacked Earth, basically destroyed almost all of Earth. Like like humanity is being fucked in the ass, and so is the rest of the galaxy. And so it's like, you know you're fucked. Like, you know you're fucked. You stand no goddamn chance of fighting against the Reapers. So you like the entire game is like you're just grasping at straws of like, we need to find we need to get find something to fight back. And you know, you collect your crew and you're like You're trying to, like, you know, just get, like, Prothean weapons and shit and, like, figure out what can we do to fight against the Reapers, and it's, like, this desperate, like, hopeless struggle against the inevitable in Mass Effect 3 is so incredible, and, you know, there was a huge controversy when it came out of, like, most people hated the ending, like, hated it to the extent that they, you know, they harassed Bioware so much that Bioware released, like, an extended ending DLC to, like, further explain what happened in the ending to Mass Effect 3, and I, I am one of the few people, the few, the proud, who I, I love. Like, I, it's not that I think it's an okay ending. I think the ending to Mass Effect 3 is amazing and is exactly what it needs to be. Like, and it's like, it is, it is such an ending to that franchise that I have not played a Mass Effect game since I finished Mass Effect 3. Like, I just can't bring myself to do it because it's like, it's done. Like, that's story finished. Like, I can't. I just can't play like so. I haven't played like the extended ending DLC. I haven't played it in an played any of the Mass Effect three DLC, even though I want to play the Citadel one because I've heard that Citadel DLC, the last one they did, is absolutely amazing. But it's like I can't, I can't bring myself to go back to that universe because it's like it's it's done. Like I saw it to completion, and it's like the way it handles the themes of death and the struggle against the hopeless is is so engaging and just emotionally impactful for me. That's like, I just can't do it. I can't play Mass Effect anymore because it ended so damn good for me.
0: Yeah. I actually refuse... When I play Mass Effect 3, I specifically will refuse to watch it with the extended cut DLC because I just want to see what everyone yeah. else saw.
1: Yeah. It's like... like and, and if it's... Man, like, particularly for Mass Effect 3, there's, like, two different... Th- like, the way, like... Because, because you get so attached to to all the characters, but in particular... Tali, Liara, and Garrus, who who are, like, th- three characters that carry through, through, like, all three games in a very significant capacity, but, like, well, like, with the the DLC for two, for Liara, that was, like, because Liara was my love interest from Mass Effect 1, and I mostly remained loyal to her in two. And then, like, in three, she comes back as, like, she's on your ship, she so you can be your love interest, like, the relationship with Liara was just so well realized to me that it was, like, just felt so engaged. And then Garrus, also, they develop him as, like, he's your best bud in like the best way possible and there are just some scenes with all those characters that are unfucking believable they're so well written and just like it, like parts of Mass Effect 3 from a certain perspective could maybe be seen as pandering in the sense of like every single loose end gets wrapped up in a way that's like maybe feels unnatural but it's like you just you just crave that so much you crave that that conclusion and that like just like those final moments with these characters it's like you want you want everything to be wrapped up you want to like you want to run into Jacob again or whatever you like you want to see again all these people you've been with on this journey one last time and I think Mass Effect 3 delivers on that and that makes it such a whole trilogy to me the way Mass Effect 3 ends that Mass Effect trilogy is easily my number two three games of all time so
0: Yep, I love it too. And yeah. I, I, my hope is that once I finish three, we could do on a slow week just an episode talking about the trilogy in depth because yeah. I think it deserves that. So we should hopefully do that someday. But for now, it is time to announce my number one favorite game, Halo of, Wars, of all time, and it is not fucking Halo Wars, Sean. Okay, all right, my number one game. <laughs> Persona 4, specifically Persona 4 The Golden, as that is the version I have played. That is the PlayStation Vita remake from 2012, which I bought a Vita to play, and then bought the game, and best purchase of my life. Best like 200 bucks I have ever fucking spent, because Persona 4 is not just my favorite game, It is easily one of my favorite stories, media, experiences ever. You know, movies, TVs, games. This is in the, you know, if I'm making an amalgamated version of all that, this is top five. This is possibly top three. Persona 4, I love so goddamn much. I don't even know where to start. Luckily, Sean, Persona 4 was your fourth favorite game of all time. Yeah, so we had to start. Yeah, we talked about it last week. You talked about the mechanics, and I'll just quickly summarize that. I think, you know, in short, the structure of the day-to-day life simulation, where you're just immersed in the town and the lives of your friends through the social links and the school activities, combined with the other half of the dungeon system, makes for what I think is the single best balanced game I've ever played, where you just never get tired of doing one thing, because another possibly even more exciting thing is always right around the corner. So if I'm in the dungeon and I'm feeling like, man, I've been in this dungeon a while... Save, go back to the you know main Inaba and go do some social links. And then if I'm like, eh, I kind of want to do some dungeon again, go back there. And if you're tired of both of those things, there's plenty of other things to do. Yeah. Like fishing. There's <laughs> not fishing. There but, is fishing.
1: Oh, there is? Yes, you can fish in the White River. I mean, you don't... It's I forgot not a that. significant okay. part of the game. Yeah, I thought you were getting... I did. I did it because I okay. did fucking everything. Right. So yeah,
0: there's always things to do, and I think the pace of the game is just tremendous. And I can't even imagine a better-paced version of this game... Um, I, I mean, you know, there's. I think the one pacing issue I have with Golden is that there is a bonus ending at the yeah, end,
1: that's lame, but
0: and it would have been fine if they had put it after the credits. The yeah. only issues is that they did the credits after it, which is just kind of a bizarre choice. Yeah, just
1: Persona Four ends like the original Persona Four ends on such the perfect moment that it ends yeah. on. So, yeah. yeah,
0: so but that's you know, a pretty easy thing to overlook. And yeah. other than that, I think the game is so perfectly paced. Even if you know there are parts of the game where you are essentially watching cutscenes for hours on end. Yeah. I mean, and I don't ever mind it because it's it's never a chore. I mean, Atlas always knows when it's time to just kind of soak up the lives of these characters and get a window into their friendships. So you have these great event scenes where you're like, you're going to the beach. Yeah. Or you are going on a camping trip. Or you build, you get in a rock band. And you get in a rock band and Naoto's on the keyboards and Teddy's got the fucking, you know, t- tambourine. And
1: Narikami plays fucking bass because Narakami's a badass.
0: Narakami is a friggin' badass. And so... Obviously, you know, Sean talked about the mechanics. I want to talk about the story and characters because that is what matters so much to me in Persona 4. As you said, uh, you explained it all perfectly, that the gameplay side of it is just flawless. They got it down pat 100%, and so it's so much fun to play. And I think the story and character side, to me, what's so impressive is that all of that stems so clearly out of the gameplay, and the gameplay clearly stems out of, you know, the story and characters. And so... It really feels like, you know, Persona 4, the basic stories It's a, it's a mystery, there's some murders Happening in the town of Inaba You are Yuna Okami. you move into a You know, this, this t- small town of Inaba you, You're from the big city, you make some friends And you're going to solve this murder case You awaken to your Persona of power You start going into TVs, people are being thrown into TVs You meet a guy in a teddy bear suit But it's, it's just a teddy bear suit Suits. I know, it's empty, he takes it off It's a teddy bear suit, it's fucking weird Yeah. But it's great weird and then, you know, the main focus here, as, you know, I, as in Mass Effect 2, this is a character study, and it's just a long-form character study, and while Persona 4 has a more involved plot than Mass Effect 2, obviously, um, the, the plot is always about moving forward the characters, I think, yeah. and it's, it's always, you know, sort of in many ways allegorical to what the characters are going through, um, and it's about pushing these characters in areas where they need to go as people to become fully mature, not even fully mature adults, because that's not the arc of the game, but it's the steps they need to take in this year of their lives. You know yeah and i i you know sean when you first talked about the game on the podcast which is the first time i think i ever heard about it in depth from you um you talked about how this really is a story about human psychology yes and i think on my end if you do not find yourself and your own problems somewhere in persona 4 you don't have a beating heart
1: yeah yeah
0: everybody will relate to something in this game even if it's something that you don't necessarily expect to like you know the character I relate most strongly to as i explained on our 6 hour podcast is Naoto and it's not yeah. because i am a, like i switch genders because you're,
1: you're 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 secretly a girl
0: yeah i'm secretly a girl no. that's not this why i relate to the,
1: podcast listeners that's
0: not why i relate to naoto and it's not i don't think it's ever you know you watch it it's going to be something like literal with persona 4 like you yeah. are a young detective who disguises herself as a boy but it's that issue of you know with naoto it's about making the world see what you want them to see to get what you want. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's this very sort of basic issue that they do so beautifully. And I beyond that, you know, just the basic psychological emotional issues it raises and it's it's just so openly raw in in dealing with that. And and when I think of Persona 4, my main memories are all the scenes, usually in social links when the sad music comes in. And it's... The character's just opening up and getting the moments of honesty and the writing in those scenes and and often the voice acting is so piercing. It's just... They leave nothing off the table. They are going to confront these issues and they confront them very well and very strongly and very persistently because it's a 70 to 90 hour game and you are immersed in this. And it's... Often, you know, it is just emotionally crushing. And this is of the two Persona games where, you know, we we talk about Persona 3 and 4 are the ones we've played. Um... You know, Persona 3 is obviously the darker game, but and while Persona 4 is more cheerful and optimistic in its ideology, it's still very hard hitting. It's got it's
1: got its dark moments. Oh for yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, and you know the uh, I, about that. everything with Nanako.
1: Yes, yes, Nanako.
0: Four fucking Nanako. Uh, but then you know, I think of that, and I think of all the beautiful moments you share with Nanako, where you do bake her life better, where you and your friends cook dinner or something, mm-hmm. and you arguably make her life better because Yukiko a terrible chef. Yeah, so is Chie. So anyway... But it's... Yeah, it really gets into these issues... And then beyond that... The characters are just such fantastic characters... And I love all of them... Yeah... And it's... And I love... What I love most of all... In the sort of dungeon gameplay system... Is that each month... Each dungeon you go through... For the first half of the game at least is you getting a new character and the dungeon is all about while you're going through that dungeon you're gaining a better understanding of what that character's issues are because this is a manifestation of their psyche Yeah. and the confrontations with their shadow and then the big boss fights it's the gameplay and the story are never separate in that way yeah. you know and it, it works so well that way and I, I love all of that so much and when you get your team together and the more you get to know these characters and, and I love how everyone just becomes such great friends and all the scenes you have of just them bonding um it really does feel like every you know, there again, as I said, there are cutscenes that just kinda of go on maybe for hours sometimes. Mm-hmm. But that's always rewarding because when you get to those points in the game you need to just soak up the lives of these characters and be with them and, and understand them better as a unit of friends. And uh it's also it just got great, great phenomenal music by Shoji Megaro and this, th- these wonderful, beautiful graphics and general sense of just atmosphere. I think that's what Persona 4 nails maybe most clearly to my mind, is it just doesn't feel like anything else, including Persona 3. Yeah. It, is, it's, it is a world unto itself, and that atmosphere to it of Inaba and of these characters and of the general style of the game is utterly singular, and you'll never see anything else like it, and the, the time you spend with that game is so unique, and I love that about it. I think the battle system, as you said, is just so much fun. Best I've ever seen in a JRPG. Yeah, a um, And it's so creative in just filling out all the details of this world, all the little side characters and the locations. Virtually every social link is a is a just a home run.
1: And you can't forget about how much fun the fishing winning game is.
0: Yes, obviously. So, and you know, more than anything else for me, if I want to sum up why Persona 4 is my favorite game of all time is it's just there's so many great memories for me. There's the memories of the first time you meet Yosuke and Shie and Yukiko and you go into the T V for the first time, that will always stick out in my head. The memories of, you know, meeting Teddy and being like, What the fuck is Teddy? Yeah. And exploring Inaba for the first time and getting it's a very kind of small world, but the first time you see it, you know, you really get to explore it and to get to know it. And I have so many Strong memories of that And I remember Whenever I think of Persona 4 Nanako Saying hey big bro Every single time You come home And just making you Shed a tear Yeah And all the memories Of the different field trips And the fun Lighthearted moments The rock band And that kind of stuff But then the memories Of the hard times I mentioned before And all the struggles And the emotional And moral confusion Especially in the stretch Of the game Where you think you know The killer's identity But you really don't And it's just And then so that tough. other part
1: Where you think you know The killer's identity right. you don't and I'm,
0: then- I'm meaning near the end I guess Okay the hospital scene. Okay. Yeah, and, and and all the memories of the different social links. The one that probably sticks out in my mind when I think of Persona Four is the one they added specifically for Golden, one of two, which is Marie, the character who lives yeah. in the Velvet Room, um, and all the memories Stuffed of in the corner. Yep, and the memories of my two probably favorite characters in the game, which are probably Kanji and not Naoto. Love them so much. Uh, just so many great memories playing Persona 4 really is to me like kind of living a full life you feel like you live that year and you come out on the other side of it feeling like that all happened and it mattered and that it will always stay with you and I think that's really something only a video game can deliver because not only is it long form but you are interactive You are the driving force to it yeah. And you know Persona 4 does not have the system Of deep role playing where, like in Mass Effect Where you really are driving every decision that character makes But you are connected enough to that character That you feel like you are living their life yeah. And so you come out of it feeling like you did live this life To me that defines the power of gaming And to me of everything I've ever experienced Persona 4 does it best It is both the best game I've ever played And my favorite Love it to death Persona 4, my favorite game of all time
1: Alright then. So Sean, yes. I certainly think that is a fair choice. Alright.
0: Sean, your
1: favorite game of all time. Yes, it is now fine at long last. My number one favorite game of all time. <laughs> Persona 3 FES My number one game of all time Easily one of my favorite things I have ever experienced in my entire life And it's fucking shit, dude <laughs> Like, I... I don't even know where to start. Can I say something really quick? Sure. But Persona Three, Persona Three is a
0: game. Obviously, I played Persona Four; it's my favorite game of all time. I I have been playing Persona Three. I'm about halfway through it. Um, I'm I wanted to finish it in time for this podcast because I knew it would be either my number one or two. About ten hours into that game, and I didn't have time to finish it. It is a very long game, obviously. Yes. yes. And uh, I love Persona Three. Hopefully, I can contribute to this discussion a little bit, but. Um, you know, it's not on my list. It probably would be if I had finished it. It would be at number one or two. Um, just, you know, it's an honorable mention because of that. But I'll let Sean go now, because he has actually yeah. finished the game. Yeah. And yeah. it is his favorite. So okay. why so, is it your favorite game ever?
1: Um, Like I said, it's a hard. It's so I feel like when I first brought up, because this is the first time we're really talking about Persona 3, I feel like the first time I brought up Persona 4 as my number zero game of 2012. And just like, try how do you even fucking explain this thing? But it's like, you know, the gameplay is basically the same as Persona 4. It's the same effective format of you know, you it's split into two parts where you have the social linking, the, the you engage with the characters in the overworld, and then here, every single night you have the option of going into Tartarus, which is their version of the dungeon, and so it still nails all of that and I don't want to talk, like I, I obviously can't talk too much about Persona 3 to not spoil it for the audience, but specifically not to spoil it for you, Jonathan, but for me, what makes Persona 3 sort of incredible in a lot of different ways is that as compared to Persona 4, and don't get me wrong, I fucking love Persona 4, Persona 3 feels a lot more mature in a lot of ways, in a way that's, it, that's really interesting in how it's actually... It's like, I played, I played Persona 4 first, and then I went back and played Persona 3, and somehow that feels really appropriate in a lot of ways, because in a lot of ways, Persona 3 feels like a natural extension of stuff they, they, they do in Persona 4. Where in Persona 3 they they are they experiment with the idea of what a persona is in like really interesting ways and like who can use personas and what that means i mean even if a fucking persona using dog for if, god's sake if sakes. i ever get
0: a dog he is being named Koromaru
1: yeah yeah Koromaru really fucking badass and Persona 3 has for me th- like deals with character in a way that's so sophisticated and unbelievable for a video game that that no other video game I've ever seen accomplishes. And most other video games don't even have the opportunity because Persona 3 makes leverage of the fact that this takes place over the course of a year and that you live that year effectively in real time like with these characters. And so these characters have the opportunity to feel like people, like actual people with their own lives. And that's one of the things that, that feels the most distinct about Persona 3 compared to Persona 4 for me. That 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 goes into even like the mechanical stuff that's different with Persona Three is that Persona Three makes so much effort for all the characters to the the characters at least in your team the C's group to feel so distinct and individual and like actual people where it's like they have their own lives and the setup for Persona Three is effectively you you move to this town and you and you encounter in this town at midnight something happens called the Dark Hour where it's basically an hour that most people don't actually experience or at least they're not aware that they experience it they sort of like they get turned into coffins like that's not important they don't they don't understand that the Dark Hour is happening but for some special people like your main character and the group of people you meet up with you actually live through the dark hour and during the dark hour these monsters called shadows come out and the school turns into Tartarus, this massive tower and that's where the shadows are coming from. And the shadows sort of prey on the unsuspecting people and consume them and attack them and are causing this uh, apathy-like syndrome thing where people just become lifeless and listless and just lays around the world like for months on end just doing nothing. And so you're sort of like thrust into this role of responsibility of you have acquired the power of Persona that allows you to fight the Shadows and you meet up with these other group of students that also have this power and you all go to that school and you are tasked with the with figuring out what Tartarus is, how Tartarus has come to be, what the Shadows are, and how you stop the Shadows. And that's basically the setup for the game. And the game is so dark. It is so dark. Fucking dark and kind of depressing in a way that almost nothing else can be in some of its darkest moments, where it's like you're living actual people, where you're living like actual lives with actual people, and they're kids, like they're all kids, and they have to deal with it in their own way, and they can't tell anybody about this stuff. You know, they they the only people they can talk to about the Tartarus stuff are the other kids living in this dorm, all fighting the shadows, but they that does they don't want that to be their whole lives, so they go out and they have their own they have their own friends and their own interests and their own clubs that they go to that has nothing to do with your main character and that sets it so far apart not only from persona 4 but from all other games or most other games where the main character in most other stories where the main character is such the focus is such a magnetic force for everything in the story by necessity for like you know for an economy of being able to tell a story so you you can't expect like to be able to flesh out all these characters lives that, like, Persona 3 is able to leverage this in, like, you know... You, just because, you know, you're the main character in the story does not mean Yukari, like, like, one of the other characters living in the dorm, like, her entire life revolves around you. You know, she goes to Archery Club. You never see her do anything related to Archery. You never, like, encounter that part of her life. She's constantly talking about hanging out with these other friends that she's made in Archery Club that you never meet, that you never even see. Because that's not your relationship with these people. You are not everything in their lives just because you're the main character they are all their own people Yukari, Jinpei, Junpei, Mitsuru, Akihiko, Aegis, Kotomaru, Shinjiro they are all their own distinct people with their own distinct lives handling this difficult situation in their own way and you're not exposed to all of that and that is something so amazing to me that does so much and that is reflected in the game mechanics in the sense of that you can't that you don't just have like magical control over them it's like you have to talk to them in order to equip items on them. And you don't just get to give them like like direct like, commands in combat that allows you to control them the same way you control your main character. They have their own A- AI behaviors in combat. And all of that serves to make them feel like their own people.
0: Yeah, and I, I think one of the things I want to say about Persona 3, that just what I've played so far, is that I feel like that sense of isolation yeah is so that that i mean that's life what you're describing there with persona 3 is no matter how close you are to someone you are not them you do yeah, not exactly. you don't have a magical connection to anyone else you are kind of alone in the world to a certain degree always because you are your own person yeah and i think persona 3 of every game i've ever played so far even with what I've played so far, it, that's what it, it, it feels like. Yeah, and I think Persona Four, obviously, the reason why everyone's so connected is because it's dealing with you know different themes and yeah. it's tackling friendship in different ways. But even then, Persona Three, doing this this theme of of isolation is just terrific.
1: Yeah, and it, it's just it, it's able to do something that nothing else can do, and it so fully takes advantage of the fact that it's a video game. And you know, like what you said about Persona Four, I think is so completely true about like just the Persona series in general and certainly about Persona 3 of that what it's able to do being a video game and taking place over the course of this year is that it makes it feel like you lived this year like it's not you played this game you lived it like you had this completely different experience you knew all these people you lived this life it's just like and then when it's over it's almost like you don't know what to do with yourself because it's like well like what, like, I can't hang out with these people, you know? Like, I can't go to, you know, like, shoot hoops with Junpei or something. It's just, like, he's a fake character. But the way you connect with them so completely, it's just, like, they feel like real people at a certain point to you. And it's it's so completely incredible. And for Persona 3, like, I, I can't go into detail on it, but, like, what sets Persona 3 so completely apart from everything else is... Like it, it, the You very... Okay, not very quickly realize, but at a certain point you realize Persona 3 is completely 100% about death, and analyzing what death is, what death means to us, and how we deal with death, that is completely what Persona 3 deals with thematically.
0: I'll say I've realized that by now. Yes, yes,
1: you've, you've gotten to that point in the game, and...
0: I saw all the Memento Moris in the theme song. Yeah, yeah. Remember,
1: you only live once. But yeah, the... It's... And what the Persona Three does, particularly when you get to January, the last month in the game, it's like something changes, and it's like everything in the game changes at that point, and you you sort of realize what the game is, what the game is doing, what the game is going for, and that whole section of just January straight to the end of the game, it just feels like it's like when I remember it. Obviously, it doesn't. It's not in terms of game time any longer than really any of the other months in the game but it like it feels like it's own fucking game like it feels like it's own thing because it's so dense so emotionally packed that it's like when you get to the end Persona 3 ends on such a poignant note such an unbelievable note that it's just, like, the experiences you have and the way it wraps up everything, you know. It does a similar... This is not really a spoiler. It does a similar thing that Persona 4 does when you get to the end sections of, like, you can talk to all the people you've social-linked in like, all the characters of the game on, like, the last day of the game or whatever. And, just, you know, you get to kind of recap all the events. And going through that, even though the, like... Playing the social-links, I didn't think a lot of the social-links on their own with a few exceptions were quite as good as like the average quality of the social links were for Persona 4 but with Persona 3 for whatever reason like the way they framed it and the way they were handling stuff when you were wrapping up the game and I was just going through and talking to all the people for specific reasons it hit me so hard of just like it's just just such an emotional experience of like thinking back on this year you've spent in this game and all the stuff you've done and all the people you've encountered and it's, it's no no spoiler the people you've seen die over the course of this game and like all the lives you've you've touched and it's just like you you get this full sense of like this is what this world is this is who this character is this is what this life was and it's like so full and so poignant and unbelievable and it's all wrapped up into what is I can say without a doubt is my favorite character from anything which is I guess the robot girl from this game and her development over the course of the game that like sort of like their struggles with like with her own humanity or like perhaps lack thereof and she doesn't even understand whether or not she's human or not and sort of dealing with that and how that well it wouldn't seem like that would like tie into and like analyze and help you come to terms with what death is and what death means it completely does and I guess that character encapsulates everything about Persona 3 to me so it's like yeah Persona 3 fest it's 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 a completely unbelievable experience and I think it you know death is obviously one of the most if not the most important thing about being human is to kind of come to terms with and understanding your mortality the fact that everything dies and like and how that how painful and horrible that is but how necessary and right it seems it has to be persona 3 understands that and presents What death is and what death means, and replicates the experience of of knowing people who have died in a way that's like nothing else can even touch. So, certainly, Persona Three is my favorite game, and easily one of my favorite things in in any form of media I've ever encountered. So,
0: and I really hope we can do a Persona Three episode at some point and talk about all this in greater depth. Again, if there's a slow week sometime, let us know if you'd like to hear it. We can probably do it. I will probably finish it while I'm on this vacation uh, because I'm playing it on the Vita. So, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see this uh, the rest of this game because boy the the stuff that recently happened in the game for me was like yeah. realizing what it is and then seeing the hints of what you're talking about here I'm very excited and I could not tell you right now you know from where I am which which game is better I'm really interested to see yeah. how it ends
1: Yeah, like I did not I would have told you and I did tell you that Persona Four was the better game and I would have believed that right up until like literally the very end of the game where I'm like okay no on three's better.
0: Okay. So, so I'm really excited to see me it at least. All right. So those are our top 10 games. You want to give them a quick recap, Sean? I've,
1: yes, I think they deserve it.
0: All right. My I'll we'll do our separate lists. Okay. Just, okay. My number 10 was Minecraft, 9 Red Dead Redemption, 8 Portal 2, 7 Batman Arkham City, 6 BioShock Infinite, 5 The Last of Us, 4 Super Mario 64, 3 Halo Reach, 2 Mass Effect 2. 1,
1: Persona 4, The Golden, and man, after talking about them, I want to go play all those games again. Yeah, no kidding. And my list is at number 10, Journey, at number 9, StarCraft, at number 8, Half-Life, at number 7, Red Dead Redemption, at number 6, Halo 3, at number 5, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, and now my my massive RPG block, number 4, Persona 4, number 3, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, number 2, The Mass Effect Trilogy, and at last, number 1, Persona 3 Fest.
0: Alright, thank you guys for listening. This has been our three-part countdown of our top ten favorite video games of all time. We'll be back at you next week. We will probably be talking about the Wolverine movie that will have come out by then. Uh, maybe some other stuff. I
1: even coming out. Man. I
0: know. No one even knows it exists. I expect that movie to bomb spectacularly, but we will see. Yeah, we, we you must...
1: expect it to pull a Lone Ranger?
0: Yes. <laughs> Alright, so that's not topical anymore for when this is actually coming <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, no, no <laughs> kidding. I was
1: even thinking about that.
0: Alright, so... They
1: pulled a John Carter.
0: Yes, there we go. Alright, see you guys later. This has been our countdown. Hope you enjoyed it. Video games. Fuck yeah.